Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA. Welcome to the experience here on ESPN LA 710. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we're talking transitioning your skills. We're talking with D. Elliot Woods. He's an actor, writer, producer, former NBA and WNBA trainer. Welcome to the show, Elliot. Laferne, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us about your journey to where you are now here in Los Angeles. Uh, let's see. Well, I was I was born on the other side of the tracks. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. You know, played high school basketball and all that good stuff there. And uh, I had an uncle that talked me into going to school for academics instead of for sports. And Oh, he's, uh, he's a good guy, huh? No, well, actually, oh. I hated his guts at the time. <laughs> but um, what ended up happening is I ended up going to a school by the name of uh, the Colorado College in Colorado Springs and played basketball there as well. But, uh, you know, it was a Division three school. But in the area, there were no... Division three schools. So we always played against division two and division one schools and we would get our butts kicked right. on a regular basis. <laughs> but, um, I ended up doing pretty well, uh, sports wise. And, um, uh, then later had a couple of opportunities with the Denver Nuggets and, you know, so on and so forth after I graduated. And it became clear in a <laughs> uh, training camp that there's a difference between being a good player and freaks of nature. <laughs> So when I discovered that gap, um, I was Wait, able to. What, what, wait, what side of the gap were you on? Well, I, I was on the gap where it was like I could have flashes of brilliance. But when you have to face, I'm just throwing out names, Michael Jordan one night, Clyde Drexler the next night, Isaiah Thomas the next night. And you quickly discover, you know, I probably should be doing something else. This is <laughs> this is not working out well for me or my ego. So. Well, how did that feel? I know I, know I was on many losing teams, yeah. you know, back in the day. Right, so right. how did you recharge yourself to be able to get back out on the court and know that you're going to lose, but hey. <laughs> Well, it's not so much lose. It was just, you know, what it was. It, here's the thing is that when you're a good player, especially if you don't have, I'll just say the best of coaching uh, at every step of the way, unless you were seven feet tall, what comes into play is how you see the game and what. I had worked on up until I got to that point was individual skills. And so I didn't recognize flow. I didn't recognize because I was worried about, you know, trying to make one person look bad as opposed to passing the ball to the right person at the right time. Because um, and it's like this in show business as well. Entertainment industry. People pay money to see superstars. Now, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Uh, and so and what I mean by that is that if there's a guy on a professional team and he's making, I don't know, 50 million dollars a year, everybody knows his name, his pictures are on the side of buildings and everything else. Now, just because you're open uh, doesn't mean you should shoot when you're dealing in professional levels, even right. if even if you hit the shot, because they came to see this other person. And I didn't get that. I didn't get that understanding of the game until later. Mm-hmm. And it's so very much the same way in show business that you have to know when it's your time to shoot when it's your time to shine and if everybody is there to see the superstar you better help make the superstar shine because that keeps you working that keeps you in the game but if you think it's about you when it's not you're expendable right and those are the skills that we talk about how you know people say they they're a one and done and then they try to go out for you know the nba or the nfl or professional leagues and they don't have the experience on the court enough to know what you had learned when you were in college going into it, right? No, I, I didn't learn it either. That was that was the problem. I learned it later that that was why I was not able to get oh, over the hump. What, uh, so what what kind of coaches did you have? I mean, well, I don't want to you know drag anybody down, but what what happens is that were you hard headed? Is that what? It, no, no, no. Well, maybe maybe a little bit. No, but what what it is is that if you are the best, you know, player 
in that particular orbit, you think you don't have to learn anything else unless somebody tells you that you need to learn something else. And so I'm thinking I'm great where I'm at. And then when you start facing people that have uh, a higher level of athleticism and uh, a better understanding of the overall game, whatever the game is, NFL, NBA, show business, you will find that you don't do as well. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. So you weren't being challenged. I, I wasn't being challenged until I was. And when I was, it was like, oh, uh, I think I'll go sit over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what did that do for you, like mentally? What it, what I felt more like, because I was always kind of a sensitive cat, I just felt like this wasn't where I needed to be anymore. And so I, I just became aware of the fact that I wasn't in the place I needed to be for me, what was best for me. Mm-hmm. So... Is it, I'm the superstar, I'm doing really well on the court, you know, I know my moves, Uh uh-oh, I see that other people are better than me, I need to get out, or was it more of a ego thing that I need to get out, or was it more of a, okay, I don't see my talents advancing enough to where I'm going to be that superstar on the court? It was really more the latter. Uh, one of the things is hard, and I see a lot of guys and, and women actually have this. It's a tough adjustment. When you are used to being, you know, quote, the man on your basketball team or the best player, and it starts at, you know, seventh grade or something like that, when you're used to being the best player on your team for 10, 15 years, and then all of a sudden you have to you're asked to play a different role if you don't have an understanding of what that role is and what is required to do that thing for example if i I was the leading scorer on our college basketball team so i'm thinking well then what i'll do is i'll just go and continue to be the leading scorer and it's like no we 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 have somebody that does that can you play defense can you can you run the the offense properly and if the answer to those questions is no then thank you you may have a seat uh next right yeah your transferable skills exactly Exactly. Yeah, you got to learn. You got to learn everything. And I think that's what's happening with. Well, that is what's happening with basketball today. You have to do everything. Well, you have to do everything and you have to know when to do it. There's a such thing as well, they, they say it all the time, role players. And if you if the superstar is already there and is already making the 50 million dollars a year and they've got the pictures and the statues out front of the of the stadium, <laughs> that means you're not the superstar. <laughs> so you, you don't need to try to fill that role because, you know, we've got somebody that's doing it. One, two, that person is the reason why everybody's coming to the game. Yes, I know. Little Lakers, what do you think about LeBron coming here? I think it's going to be an amazing transition. <laughs> I really do. I really do. I um you know, I I don't know what's going to happen unless they get another couple of one or two pieces, but I think it's going to be really good for the city to uh, yes, you know, to I- see excellence, you know, once again. Uh, in, in purple and gold. It sounds, looks like somebody's pretty excited about that. <laughs> I am. I'm, yeah. I really am. I really, I really admire LeBron. So yeah, yes. yeah. I am definitely a fan of this. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I never would have picked up on that. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, none at all. No. Mm-mm. Ooh, wee. All right, it's getting hot in here. Right. Yeah. So, so Elliot, so you decided that. You know, your skills needed to go elsewhere. Tell us how you got into training professional athletes for the NBA and WNBA. It was actually uh, accidental. Like, like I said, I continued to play in the semi-pro and, you know, dip dip your foot into the NBA at the edge, you know, for probably three, four years. And then finally, you know, became clear that unless I was willing to go to Europe or someplace else to play, that I was done. And the hardest thing was at the time, that's how I identified myself. So I had to find out who I was because I had identified myself as this basketball player. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, dude, you're not going to be that. Right. And so uh, I went through a period where I went into uh, corporate America for a bit. Mm -hmm. And um, same thing. It was like, you know, I had, you know, good, good skills, Mm -hmm. but. It wasn't the right fit for my personality. And in college, I had the good fortune of being um, uh, had some visiting professors, one by the name of uh, Bill Duke and uh, also Alfrey Woodard. Uh, they came and I, to be honest with you, I took the classes because they were visiting professors and I thought it was going to be an easy credit. <laughs> and let me you don't tell know you, Bill Duke? 
Man, well, you don't know Alfre Woodard. She's a beast. She she would not okay. let me, you know, do the athlete thing where you sit in the back oh, and all no. that stuff. So she pulls me into this um, uh, play that I really didn't want to be in. <laughs> And, you know, I've got one of the leading roles and, and she's directing the play and everything else. So we've got X amount of weeks to get ready for this performance. And I hated everything. I hated having to memorize my lines. <laughs> I hated the rehearsals. I hated her always being so dang enthusiastic. Um, and but but she would not let me, you know, sit back and just be the cool jock. So long story short, I hated everything about the process until opening night of this play. Okay. And. When I came out on stage, I could literally feel uh, while I was in the moment and everything else, but I could literally feel the audience going on this journey, not just with me, but with all of us. And it was like, oh, man, this feels like home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the seed had been planted in college. Mm -hmm. But me coming from Indiana, uh, you know, where they say, well, boy, you better get you a good job. And, (laughs) you know, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what got me over into corporate America. But in the back of my mind, I wanted to be an actor and be in that field. So with being on stage and that energy that you're feeling from the audience, is it the same feeling as when you were on the court? Uh, Yes. Yeah. I've only had a couple of uh, places where that feeling exists. And it was, um, well, basketball, obviously, with uh, the acting and also with martial arts. Those are the, but other than that, so it's like the, the, my zone is in that, in it's somewhere mm-hmm. in there. That's that's what I really enjoy. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so taking these classes, these these easy classes, right, right, <laughs> led you on to that journey. Mm-hmm. But l- let's talk about uh, how your transferable skills led you to that moment. So, how can you? see what you learned on the court and, you know, by training these athletes and being overseas and all of this, how those skills helped you in your success and rise. Got you. Well, at first, you know, especially when you're younger, you don't think that the lessons from one discipline apply to (laughs) other areas of your life. And so for the longest, each time I made a transition, I was starting over. And in my mind, I was starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. But then re- uh, then when I finally figured it out, it's like, wait a minute, I've kind of been through this, except it was in a, in basketball. Um, I was able to apply uh, principles like if you want to get better playing basketball, you have to go where the better players are. And so I used to do that. But when I transitioned over into acting, I had forgotten that lesson. And so I started from scratch. I didn't try to go to where the best students were in the best classes were for acting, uh, studying uh, character study and acting in general. I was just, you know, just kind of floundering around on my own. And then when I realized that I was floundering, it's like, well, wait a minute, what, what can I do? That's when I figured out, well, you have to do the same thing you did to get good at basketball. You have to apply the same things, but just in a different area. So when you were going through that whole transition and you're like, oh, I'm not a basketball player anymore a lot of athletes identify with being an athlete they spend all these years training and then they graduate and then it's like okay what am I going to do next and a lot of athletes get depressed because they identify themselves with playing the game yeah exactly that's how you identify yourself I mean for the longest in fact not only do you identify yourself like that you're everybody that's in your orbit looks at you as that also and then suddenly when you're not that, nobody knows what to do. Right. Oh, so can you give me an example? Like, hmm. Okay. Probably the worst example. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I've noticed, because, you know, and I know you've got a lot of friends in this boat also that are, you know, famous and, you know, recognizable faces, so on and so forth. Back when I went, I don't go anymore. I, I spend more time at the Christian Science Reading Room. But back when I was going to <laughs> nightclubs and things like that, I um, I noticed <laughs> that depending on who I was with, we didn't have to stand in line, um, you know, because we could just walk right in because so-and-so is here and that person's got clout and they don't have to do the velvet rope thing. But when you go by yourself, it's like uh, and you try to. Well, you remember last week you let me in? It's like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't remember. And it's like, huh. 
Um, okay. And so you have that moment where it's like, well, you can either try to have this argument and say, don't you know who I am? Oh, my goodness. Or you can take your little butt and get get in line like yeah. everybody else. And and it's it's really hard to reconcile that you are treated differently based on how you're perceived. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is a, like I said, it's probably a bad example, but that is when you define yourself as an actor and you're on such and such a show and you're with, I don't know, Jamie Foxx or whoever, and you get in the club one week and then the next week you go back to the same place, see the same security team, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, no, you're, you're over here. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh. Okay. Yeah. I gotta gotta get a better understanding of how this works. <laughs> yeah, LA is a beast. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's uh it's filled with lessons like we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's they're, they're all over the place. Mhm. Um so when you were training these athletes, what did you take or what did you bring to the table that you were able to see that maybe, you know, a coach or another player can't see to help these athletes achieve one thing that i think um was helpful is that even though i was you know pretty decent player when you're not uh blessed with just amazing athleticism you have to learn the game i mean you can't like out jump everybody you can't outspeed everybody so you have to think and and see you know the overall and that's one disadvantage that i think superstars have is that many of them uh, they've been so far advanced athletically that certain aspects of the game they don't have to learn. And so when they try to teach others, they're trying to teach it based on how they see the game. And they believe me, Magic Johnson sees the game completely different than I do. But it's because he's Magic Johnson, and, mm-hmm. and that's been his experience. But uh, not to say he couldn't, you know— uh, transmit his ideas and thought processes to other people Mm -hmm. it's just unlikely that he would be able to do that because most people aren't six nine that can handle the ball like that that see the court the way he does um and so being the height that i am and not being as fast or as strong you know i actually learn uh angles and 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 just the flow of the game Mm -hmm. differently and I'm able to communicate that based on where that the person that I'm training is. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. some people might be a little bit more athletically skilled, mm-hmm. some are less, and you have to help them based on where they are at the time. Yeah. Uh, I, now I'm totally blanking on the the guy's name, but he was an announcer, and when Michael Jordan was playing, he wasn't hitting any shots, and he saw that if he just balances his right hand right. like this, and right. then... I guess they heard him, and then... They did that? Yeah, yeah. and then he started hitting the shots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and then they were like, okay, he needs to be a coach. But some people have that eye. Right, right. Well, I, I can't play, but I can see it right. happening. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing. It's like you can see little things that they do that... And it honestly, at a certain level, athletically... like let's, We're talking about the NBA. So athletically, if everybody is between 6'4 and 6'7", and everybody's an amazing athlete and everybody's fast and everybody's strong. It's like, well, what separates these people? And what separates it is their vision and their ability to execute within mm-hmm. the flow of what's going on, right. as opposed to trying to impose. I'm going to shoot regardless whether I'm hitting the shot or not. Uh, if I'm if I'm fading away and that's why I'm missing, I'm going to keep fading away. It's unless somebody tells them, how would they know? Right. Right. Because you can't see yourself. On the court. Well, I guess maybe some can, but yeah, but yeah. a lot of people, you know, everybody doesn't have that transferable skill. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell us some of the techniques that you use to help athletes uh, gain uh, an advantage on the court. Um, a lot of it uh, comes down to fundamentals. One of the things that is good about the and one basketball craze is that there's a tremendous focus on individual skills <laughs> one of the things that is bad about the and one basketball craze is that there's a tremendous focus on individual skills <laughs> <laughs> and so again you have to go back to where people are you know so i, I the first thing i always do i don't i don't come out of the gate assuming that everybody needs to do x mm-hmm. what i do is let, let's uh let's you know you go to a court and i'll just watch you play uh and so i can see where they are and how they see you know the game so it's really the things that i impart 
it's different with everybody because everybody has a different <laughs> way to go about it. Right. And so I don't try to address everybody the same. What happens if you're on the court or you, you have an athlete on the court and he or she is afraid to dribble because somebody is going to steal the ball for them? Huh. Huh. I know I know people like that. I know people like that. That's that's a that's a tough one to get over. Um, that, yeah. That's that's when people tend to either you know get out maybe, the game. Yeah, maybe you should play rugby or you know something where you don't have to dribble as much. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. Oh, that was just torturous. That's hard, but you I'm, but you've gotten over yes, it. I, well, no, it, a friend of mine. Oh, you're right. Of it course. was a friend. Oh, yeah, of mine. yeah. Well, that, yeah, exactly. And, Ask, and, asking for a friend, right? And and this friend was tormented in school, and everybody saw this friend mm-hmm. and was like, "That friend is afraid to dribble on the court." Man, <laughs> but you can see the thing is, it happens that there are people that are great going in one yeah. direction, but if they have to use their offhand, their left hand, or if they're oh, yeah, right-handed, yeah, no. uh, there it's a wrap. But I was good at the hustle, man. There you I go. I can grab. I can. I can rebound balls, man. I figured that, that. was my strength. Yeah, okay, yeah. So. I've got. A, I've got a daughter like that. She is <laughs> no, no. She's a tremendous player, but the, she's a tremendous overall player. Like she plays defense, she gets oh. rebounds, and she gets some points. Uh, but she's an overall player. And what's challenging, I think, in in our our family is that now my son is this cat is liable to score twenty six points and a half. Wow. And so, but ever so, everybody focuses on his scoring, but he doesn't like to play defense. And so he's only, you know, 11 years old, but still, it's like when you see that, it's like, all right, I, if he comes to me later, because I don't force it on him, but if he comes to me later, it's like, all right, to round your game out, you need to do these other things. I mean, all this other stuff is cute, but. Again, and when you get to the big show, yeah. if you can only do one thing, yeah. unless you're the best one at it, <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. Yes, yeah. yes, I, I can relate. But at least I knew that I was good at the hustle and there you go. at at defense and rebounding. So I your could, friend, <laughs> I mean, you're right, yes. my friend, yes, 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 yes mm-hmm. darling. And then took my friend took those skills to volleyball. <laughs> so, see, that's awesome. It all works out. Yeah, and you've been working on your vertical leap and all that stuff. <laughs> no, really, right? Because yeah. you probably a good yeah. uh what do you call it when you slam it mm-hmm. what uh, that <laughs> okay yeah, yeah that. that okay all right well there it is and there's our lesson for and, the day and there's the lesson mm-hmm. okay so when you met up with um miss alfrey woodard the great yes. and um bill duke uh they noticed something in you exactly you know it's it's funny and even though i had that feeling on the play that i was talking about um to hear somebody that you admire tell you that you're good at what they do it it means a lot especially when you're at you know younger and at the impressionable age and both of them you know kind of pulled me to the side and said hey you know you you probably might want to pursue this and I was like wow me you know okay and so you know the seed is planted but still after after graduation you got your entire family that's like okay and now you can come on down and work at the factory or you know what what are you gonna do um and so you try to please the family Mm -hmm. but at a certain point uh i was called to do what i feel like i was put here to do Mm -hmm. and so i moved to los angeles with i think when i got here i had eleven dollars and paid my little rental deposit i had eleven dollars left wow and went from there (laughs) with zero connections well that's amazing and that takes a lot of courage because a lot of people can't do that you know well yeah um i i I, like i said i I had already done the sports at that point i'd done corporate america and even though i've had uh, a couple of jobs since i've been out here um i knew that that just wasn't Mm -hmm. for me it just wasn't Mm mm-hmm so I had to do something. Right. right. And at the time, you know, with with no when you it's better to do it when you don't have kids and family and, you know, all of that other stuff. And at the time I didn't. So it was yeah. uh, it was the best time to do it. Yeah. And Elliot, do you remember your first gig that you booked? Yes. And that? I remember who cast me to uh, the casting director by the name of um, what is Dee Dee's last name? Oh, yeah. Dee Dee Bradley. Yeah. yeah. But she cast uh, me in Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Do you remember that oh, show? Yeah. 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 And so, uh, yeah, I had auditioned for that. And in the middle of the audition, uh, again, uh, Dee Dee just looks at me. She goes, wow, you're really funny. And I was like, me? <laughs> you know, you know, because I'd always had this self-deprecating humor because I got that from my dad. But um, 
I, I didn't, I wasn't confident yet in, you know, the acting arena. Right, right. You know, because, once again, I didn't go to the same schools and, and uh, or at least the more prominent schools mm-hmm. of study. And so I was just raw and didn't know what my instrument was. I didn't mm-hmm. know what I was playing. Mm-hmm. And what was the role on there? I was a, a EMT. Is that the person mm-hmm. on the uh, the ambulance? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. It, that's what it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and working with you know Mark Curry, and then there were, oh at the time because Mark Wait, was from Indiana, right? No, he's from uh, I think he's from the Bay Area, from Oakland. Oh, and uh, but because he was a basketball coach on the show, there were all these NBA dudes that used to come by the set all the time because you know that was kind of the thing, and it right. was before the internet had just exploded. <laughs> so. Uh, um, you know, it was just kind of heady to all of a sudden be on a stage, and now now I'm with you know Mark Curry and hanging with Mr. Cooper, and you know all these guys are coming through. It was it was cool. How did you get to you know get on all these other great shows? And that actually opened up the door um, for me uh, over at uh, Warner Brothers because because of that. This, here's the thing: is that when you switch. <laughs> When you switch careers and, you know, you're new and starting out in this new thing, all you need is one fan. Mm. And and Dee Dee was mine. Mm. She was the one that opened up the door for me there. And because I was, had, was on that show and, you know, we did pretty well and all that stuff. They literally ran me around to, wow, I think that first... First year when I really started working, I probably did eight shows on the oh, Warner Brothers cool. lot in one television season, which is a lot when you're not a regular cast member. I mean, yes. so literally going guest star, guest star, you know. Yes. And and that's what got me started. Yeah. Uh, we talk about, you know, having mentors and then also advocates. Mm-hmm. It, Didi was an advocate for you. Yep. Just like, oh, wow, I need I need some of those. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's that's what it was. And then I uh, had a similar thing happen with casting director by the name of Ron Serma brought me in for uh, one of the Star Trek shows. And, you know, that because I'm tall and, you know, what have you. And, and when I want to, I can talk <laughs> lower. Uh, they cast me as a, a Klingon on uh, Deep Space Nine. But I'm telling you, Ron Sermon would bring me in just all the time. Oh, that's cool. And I ended up doing a, you know, a couple of movies, a couple of the other Star Trek shows. And, you know, all it takes is a little bit of momentum. And what really did it is I had this little teeny role. I think I was probably the third black person ever on <laughs> on Friends. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, I'm that dude. Now, oh, now you recognize me. Now you want to be know, my friend. Right. Yeah. I know who you are. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I had a, a role on, on Friends. And before then, you know, yes, I had been run around on a couple of shows, but I had never had the experience of never having to audition for shows. And because I was on Friends, which at the time was the number one show in the universe or whatever, I was in situations where I'd come in thinking, okay, I've been preparing for two days for this audition and, (laughs) you know, so on and so forth. So I'm coming into rooms with 15 producers in the room, handshaking, and they're like, oh, so you know Bob from, you know, a producer on Friends. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, it was a real good experience and this, that, and the other. They're like, okay, you know, and they'd banter about Friends and we'd talk some more about Friends and then they'd say, okay, well, thanks for coming. (laughs) and and i'd never get to audition and i at first i couldn't figure out what was going on and literally before i would get to my car my cell phone's ringing with my agent going oh they loved you they want to hire you and and i'm like i didn't do anything it's like oh oh i'm taking meetings now i didn't know that yeah yeah so isn't that something yeah and the thing is this i didn't become a better actor Mm -hmm. uh that you know i wasn't a better person i didn't get taller but all of a sudden i was i was oh everyone this is d elliott woods he was on friends that was my full name (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious yeah man that's so cool Mm. but that shows like a lot of actors like oh i didn't get it maybe it was because i said this line wrong or maybe i did the no no mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> has nothing to do with that and the thing is what you have to do as an actor uh you have to separate yourself um and realize that you are selling a product mm-hmm. and if in my case let, let's say that as the an actor is you all i do yeah the product is me but let's just say but you have to separate it and say okay i sell this certain type of water that's what i sell now if you walk into a room and you don't know it but they're looking for pepsi they're looking for coke 
and what you're selling is water, you can be the best at water, but that has nothing to do with what they're really looking for, and you don't know that. Right. And they never tell you. No. They will never say, well, you had on brown shoes, and we don't need that. We we needed somebody that had on blue shoes. Right. I'm like, oh, okay, so you think, oh, I must have sucked. And it's like, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I've even gotten jobs when I sucked. <laughs> No. So you you, you 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 never know. You never know. Not one iota. And it's just like people, they take it so personally. And it's just like, if you want to stay in the game, you can't. You cannot. You cannot. And and you also have to learn, okay, now there might be, I'm pretty easygoing, dude. There's No. Uh, I know. I know. No. It's hard to believe. <laughs> but I, I've only been, uh, there are two casting offices that I simply will not go into anymore. <laughs> Uh, because there is a sign, a kick me sign on my back in those offices. Oh my God. But they literally bring me in to kick me. <laughs> and so I'm not going to go back there anymore. But for the most part, um, the, the, everywhere else, they want to see you do well. Yes. They really do because it makes their job easier. Exactly. Exactly. But that goes to show, like, Elliot, like, you know, you're – you're on the court and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to do this or do that. But actually, the whole team needs you to do this. Right. Or the defense is set up to prevent you from doing that <laughs> one thing. And it's like, um, hey, gentlemen, could you move out of the way? Because I need to go right. In order for me to dunk, I need I have to go right. And it's oh, like, well, we're not. We're not. No. We, we know that. It's in the scouting report. El- Elliot, throw the ball to LeBron. Right. It's like, yeah, but I'm open. It's like. Throw uh, it to LeBron. <laughs> but but I can hit this shot. Throw the ball to LeBron. No, by that second time, trust me, this by that second time, the coach is just like, tweet. All right, you, you can come sit over here uh, since uh, we'll get somebody in the game that will get it to LeBron. That's, that's hilarious. That, man. That's what happens, man. You got you got to know what 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 is your what, role. What is your role? Right to throw the ball. Is he open? Will the crowd cheer? Here's the thing: is that I could hit a shot. I could hit a shot, and everybody's oh great. You know the team scored, but if I throw it to him. And he's LeBron. And like I said, the posters are up and everybody, and he's got on the LeBron shoes and everything else. And he gets it and he goes to the basket and he dunks. The crowd goes nuts. The, mm-hmm. the building is electric. And those, it's the same two points, but his meant more to the team. <laughs> no, really, because everybody gets hyped because he mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to know when it's your time. Yes, yes. That could be, that can really deflate a lot of people. And a lot of people can't handle that and then have to get traded. Well, they get traded. They also fade away. And, and again, now they have the problem because now they've been a great basketball player all this time. And I, I'm not going to call names, but I've seen some guys that made it to the upper echelon of the NBA, but they never understood you know, their role. Mm-hmm. And so they never get to stay. And inevitably, when they're dropped from the league, uh, because we're not going to pay you a whole bunch of money to not do what we're asking you to do. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But then they're out of the league all of a sudden, and they don't know why. Mm-hmm. You know, they know they're a great player. They can beat everybody at, the, at all the basketball tournaments and, mm-hmm. you know, the pickup games and everything else. And everybody keeps telling them, you should be in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I was. But now nobody will bring me into training camp. Right. That. And it's because they, they're they so hard-headed, they don't understand playing roles. Now, that reminds me of David Caruso and his story. Mm. And he even talked about that. Yeah. You know, that how yeah. he was... He was the star. He was that dude. He was that dude. Mm-hmm. But then things changed. But he th- still thought he was that dude. Right. And then they were like, no, nah, go sit on the bench, Crusoe. Yeah, because what he did was, uh, well, you probably have already talked about this, but him being a, a star, just kind of just out of the blue, because he'd been kind of languishing and, you know, bit, bit parts and everything else. I remember seeing him in, a, what was that movie? An Officer and a Gentleman. Mm-hmm. He had a maybe two, three lines, but he stood out because he's red hair, you know, nice looking cat, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden he was the lead on the number one show in the country. And maybe at the time he bought into the hype and thought, you know what? I, well, suddenly I believe I can dunk. I believe, I believe I'm the fastest player. I believe this, that, and the other. And then he said, well, I don't need this little show anymore because I have become. And, 
what ended up happening is he then tried to do a movie career, which is a different medium. It is. It's just a different medium. And it's not that he couldn't have been successful as a movie star, but those first few roles that he took didn't lend themselves to his skill set. And so suddenly he wasn't a movie star either. And eventually he did make his way back to television. Mm -hmm. But what a humbling journey. Right. Uh, Now, he suffered comfortably because I'm sure he made a lot of money. (laughs) But it it was a very humbling journey. But the reason I bring him up is because he talks about it freely. I I wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah, you want to dog somebody out. Yeah, Yeah. but I mean, it's truly, I don't even remember where I I read it, but he he knows what happens and he knows what his attitude towards, well, I'm going to dunk, and and then they're like, no, okay, Mm. sit on the bench. Yeah. Um, And where that leads you. So, it's very humbling, as both as an athlete and then you come off the court, you're, and then as an, I think... In every area, it's very humbling to find out that you are not your career. Right. You are a human being. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that is absolutely positively true. And and uh, as actors, I think one of the mistakes that um, people make often, or, you know, for the actors anyway, is that everybody is in a constant uh, a state of trying to become the next person, the next mm-hmm. star. And so what they do is they try to make every moment about them in as performers. And it's not. And, and or they're trying to steal other people's moves. <laughs> like, um, you know, like I, I can do, you know, it's like when Denzel, you know, when he does that, when he, when he shakes it off, it's like, okay, and then we got the one tier or, you know, there's certain ways he holds his head. Right. Um, you can try to imitate that. But the one thing that you can never do. No matter how good of an impressionist you are of Denzel Washington, you are not Denzel Washington. Right. So the best thing you can do is find out what it is that you do mm-hmm. and then do those things. And maybe, just maybe, at some point they'll say that D. Elliott Woods, I like that thing he does. Now, I'm not, as an actor, I'm not a virtuoso. I'm not a Denzel Washington who can play anything. I'm not a Meryl Streep can do anything. But in my zone... You can't stop me. <laughs> you cannot stop me. <laughs> but I but I know that now. Are you now. Carmelo? Are I, you No, I, I am in my zone. I am I am Jordan in my zone. Oh, wow. But when I get outside of my zone, it's like, uh. <laughs> so you you wanted me to sing high notes? Uh. <laughs> yeah, I can't but, I could do that. Well, well I could, but I don't want to show off. And it's like, no, okay. I think we understand. Thank you, sir. Right. Yeah. This is ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with D. Elliott Woods, actor, writer, producer. And as you know, former trainer for NBA and WNBA, former player. You did it all. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, on, my, on my journey to here, I did all of that. You know, that was my exit strategy. <laughs> I, I, look, I, that's a reverse engineered exit strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Play first teach others and then leave yeah (laughs) but it's remarkable everything that you did has prepared you for this moment being on this show mm, feel wait a minute just a moment of silence and let's feel that let's feel it yes yes here absolutely espn no we're, we're joking but it actually is it actually, it all led to this. Uh, and I don't know who all's that, you know, how many hundreds of thousands of people are listening to this, but uh, you, you just, you never know. Yes. Uh, and so it's just, you you just stay free and stay in the flow. Amen. That's why my company's name is Fly Free Entertainment. Fly Free ENT.com for yeah. more information. Mm-hmm. Flyfreeent.com. So tell us about the upcoming projects that you have going on. You have a lot. Your, your sh- yeah, I've, I've start. What I, I started doing is um, writing because uh, there's a sense of arrogance in that if you've seen X amount of scripts, <laughs> you think I can do that. I can do that. Or, or worse, you're sitting up late at night and you're watching some cable channel and you see some horrid movies and it's like, I know I can do that. <laughs> I can at least do that. But but with that is like I know some really great writers. Yeah, and they write marvelous screenplays but then once it gets picked up they bring other writers to make it better and by the time it makes it to the screen it's It's not that it is not at all what was on the page originally my friend was like please take my name off of that (laughs) yeah yeah 
I've known people that have done that. It's yeah. cra- I don't even know how a film gets made or it, like any project. It's just the closer crazy. the closer you are. Again, it's show business, <laughs> and what ends up happening when the business part of it comes into play is that the people with the money. <laughs> Uh, are able to say, well, we're going to need you to, you know, inst- you know, we were thinking instead of a six foot four black man that maybe maybe she could be Chinese and uh, about five foot one. And it's like uh, that's that's kind of a different story. I don't know how you put her in Harlem, but, you know, thanks for the million dollars. And uh, we'll 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 give that a shot. Right. We'll, we'll give it a shot. But now all of a sudden we got a different story. But that's the way it goes. It's like, OK, are you going to. Are you going to be like, this is my art form. This I don't want anybody to change it. Or mm-hmm. you're going to say, oh, great. I just got a studio deal. They want to do three of my movies. And, um, okay, I'll take the $5 million package or whatever. I don't even know. Right. I don't even know the, what the running price of a strip uh, nowadays, you know? It, de- it depends on who you are and who your representation is because if, if you have no juice, you get the minimum. <laughs> it's like, what is the least amount we can pay this cat? Bottom line is that when you're writing your own scripts, the closer you... Uh, what's that thing that my relatives used to, you know, you got the old crazy uncle that, you know, drinks a lot. Uh, all money ain't good money. Oh, yeah. uh, well, all money that you get, although it, you can be put to good use, but if they're paying you for your script, now all of a sudden it's not your script anymore. It's their script. And you have to understand that if you give it to somebody who's got a slant on this project that does not agree with what you wrote. Once they buy it, once you accept that deal, oh well. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. And 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 that that does happen a lot. A so lot. the closer you can get in terms of uh vibe or frequency, um if you're running with people that happen to have a whole lot of money, but you guys are on a similar vibe, then the better chance you have of making the film that you thought you were mm-hmm. wanted to make. But so, oh, but then so to answer your question, I've got a um a faith-based movie that I've written, but I've been very careful about who I've shown it to because I know that they want to change this story. And I want to tell the story the way that it is. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, 11 Minutes and 14 Seconds. <laughs> no, really. That's that's the title of the oh, movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is that John? Hmm? No, is that oh, John? no, no. The, oh. Uh, the, no, not, not oh. that one. Yeah, no. Uh, the, yeah, it's called 11 Minutes and 14 Seconds. No, what, what it's, it's based on is... Um, well, first off, all right, everybody understands that it takes a little longer than 365 days a year to go around the sun, you know, to to mark a one-year point in time. It takes uh, – but – and so what man has done is they make um, – they make uh, – they've made leap year. And so we give – we get leap year once every four years. And if you do it mathematically, uh, four years uh, divided into – uh, the 24 hours, the extra day, that's uh, six hours uh, of time that we're granted each year to make up for this time variance, right? Well, the actual length of time it takes to go around the sun is 365 days, five hours, 48 minutes, and 46 seconds. Mm. And the reason why that's significant is because in this movie, uh, that extra 11 minutes and 14 seconds a year that's unaccounted for, that's moving us further and further away from God's time. Mm. Uh, and so every couple of thousand years, there's a person that's born that is here to not only correct time, but to bring man back closer to what God wants us to be. Wow. And so this is the story of a of a young lady that everybody's forgotten, but her name um, is Tamana Grace. And she was born in 2012, uh, the most amazing person the world has ever seen. But she couldn't live in the world that she came to save. And this is her story. Wow. And, uh, and one of the things is that when she goes away, her memory uh, has, has been erased from everybody else's mind. But the, this is this basically chronicles the length of time she was here. Wow. Yeah. So. I like that. Yeah. Can I be in it? Absolutely. <laughs> you heard it here first on ESPN LA, ladies and gentlemen. Lafern Cusack. Yes. No, you're laughing. Oh. You're laughing. Oh, no, I'm I'm laughing out of yes. Yes. Do this. <laughs> Joy. Ha-ha. Yeah. Ha-ha. Yeah. But um No, that's awesome. I be- I'll leave this this with you. So Now we talked about that we talked about how and I'm saying it again. Yes. Okay. Mm. My father passed away and 
he was talking about his legacy and then mm-hmm. the, like the legacy of his father like my, my grandfather was a buffalo soldier and uh he died in world war Two in germany but we don't know how he died mm-hmm. they won't tell us how he died right and so i just found an email a couple of days ago from my dad from 2014 saying yeah, Lafern, um, let's research and, you know, find out how come we didn't know, you know, how he died and where he died and all this, those circumstances around him. Let's talk about legacy, the legacy of the African-American male in, in service and da, 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 da. And I was like, all right. I did a story about Buffalo Soldiers here a few years ago and how I'm continuing my dad's legacy by talking about him Mm -hmm. and all the great things that, you know, he did and shared with me and his legacy is continuing through me and what he taught me. Yes. Yeah. I, it's, uh, I am in a similar circumstance. I've I've been, uh, my dad passed a a little longer ago than yours, but I think we're, yeah, we're coming up on 10 years now, but it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, the number of people that were required to make you, <laughs> I mean that. It's it's like when you think of it that way, yes. um, you realize that it's not just you when you walk in the room. It's you and 10,000 people. Now, you can't see the 10,000, mm-hmm. but that's who you're representing. Yeah. That's and so you can waste your time here on the planet, or Wor- you can worrying, or, yeah, yeah worrying, stressing, or or worrying about you know nonsensical stuff, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know these ten thousand put you here, and so you are literally the the one that's supposed to push all of this forward. You know, so if you are supposed to be researching about your grandfather, then. You need to be getting on that. <laughs> no, really, because there, there's a reason why you came across that email uh, from your dad, who's no longer on this plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you saw that message again, a reminder. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's something there. There's a story there. Yeah. And maybe your grandfather, you know, on the other side of the veil going, hey, um, you, you might want to research this. This might be the thing that, that, you know, all of a sudden brings you a screenplay that pays you a lot of money mm-hmm. um, and gets a story told that people can benefit from. Yes, absolutely. And heal with. Right. Like you. That's a beautiful story. Now, how do you come up with that? I am, I guess you'd call hyper vigilant. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, you grow up, grow up in the hood and all this kind of stuff. It's like you, you become extremely aware once one or two bad things happen to you. It's like, all right, well, but I, I don't know the certain things, um, appeal to my 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 mind i guess my 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 way of thinking and when i found out that it it took longer that when i realized that leap year was incorrect it's like well what happens with the other 11 minutes and 14 seconds and you know it's just something that just stuck and then uh the story kind of came to me well i'll tell you the truth um i literally had a dream um one night and in the dream I, you know, cause I was there for the birth of all of my children, but one of my daughters was born in this dream. And when they put her in my hands, she, uh, you know, I was saying her name and I'm like, Oh, look at, you know, and I kept saying her name over and over again. And she was looking at me because one of my children was born with her eyes open and she literally oh, was looking wow. around the room. And, um, but what happened in the dream was that I said her name a couple of times and she looked at me and she said it back right after birth wow and it was just like oh wow okay she just came from the tunnel <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, and she's talking uh, she, and she didn't know but she was repeating what she saw my lips say mm. and that was the the genesis of this the screenplay oh how beautiful and how beautiful for your daughter to have that film once it's complete, right? Yeah, well, it it, it, it will be. The only thing is that now she constantly tells me that she's my favorite. <laughs> so I'm going to have to work the other two in the story some kind of way. But uh, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny <laughs> is that I realized after my dad died that, like, I talked to him every day going to work and every day at lunch. Mm-hmm. And when he died, I was like, oh, I don't have anyone to talk to. I was lunch time. Oh, I don't have any. Who am I going to call? So I called my sister, and then I was talking to her. He talked to her every day. Oh. <laughs> uh, he, I was like, oh, I thought I, that was my I role. Know, I thought that was me. I thought I talked to him twice a 
guy's a dad. Yeah, man. But she did too. That means your dad was a great dad. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you got to love them the same, even though you have to love them differently based on personalities mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. But you got to love the same. You can't have a favorite because it just creates a problem <laughs> later on. You know, because I know you were just like going to family reunions like, oh, well, put her at, the, at table number seven. I, I'll be up here with, with, with the important relatives. I'll be yes. here with dad. Yeah, yeah, man. This is ESPN LA 710 speaking with D. Elliot Woods. Now, Elliot, tell us, uh, I, I know that, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, your projects and how you transferred your skills from the basketball court to, you know, coaching to, you know, acting. And then you're writing these scripts. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the competition on the court as there there is a lot of competition. Mm-hmm. In this field, there is a lot of competition as well because everybody has their Samsung Galaxy Note with the dual camera. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Reverse. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. And you can make – you can create content. So it is easier. It is easier for you to do your own things but tell us about how you see the competition in regards to access. Uh, that's the, the, the key in all of this is ultimately it's about distribution. And, yeah, you can do a film. Um, but one, how do you get it out to your audience? And two, how do you get the audience to watch it? And so it does become a thing about access. It becomes um, and that access is granted through, you know, the standard avenues of, you know, proper representation uh, in terms of the agencies that that represent people. If you're if you don't have agency representation, that automatically is that that's a demerit. Uh, If you have sucky representation, (laughs) that's a demerit. Um, Soon you'll be sit, sitting in detention because yeah, all the demerits. Yeah, you, know? you got all these demerits happening, and, and nobody's watching your movie. Um, so I, how do I answer it? It's one: you have to finish your projects first off; otherwise, it's just talk. Um, but then, secondly, it's it's a matter of having. Well, I'll just say it, you just have to have want to, and you have to have a huge why. And I don't mean the letter; I mean reason. The reason why you're doing this, because man, oh, no. <laughs> oh man, Philip Bailey is rolling over in his grave right now, and he ain't even dead. Oh man, um, but yeah, you 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 have to have a huge why because unfortunately there are there's a ton of competition and there are a ton of people that don't want to talk to you because you aren't represented by so-and-so or they don't want this type of a film or this type of a tv show and you have to keep going and the only way to do that is you have to have a reason that's pushing you forward in your case you just mentioned you know your grandfather maybe there's something there that will give you you know, more strength. And it's like, wow, he went through that. Mm-hmm. If he went through that, then the least I can do <laughs> is, is wake up in the morning and, and is push, push through <laughs> this little challenge that I have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you have to pull your inspiration from where you get it. And I, I think when you say why I, I hear a purpose, you have to have your purpose. Like you have to have a purpose to get out on the court. Yeah. You have a to? purpose. You have to have want to, you have to, and by want to, if, if it's on the court, you have to want to guard somebody because defense sucks. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm sorry. Yes, I, I will just go ahead and confess. I hate playing defense. I love scoring, but I hate playing defense. But if you want to win, you have to do some of the things that you really don't want to do. And you have to have a reason to play the defense, even if it's I don't want the coach to pull me out of the game. Oh, right. Got to have a strong why. You got to have some want to. Yeah. Uh, Elliot, talk about a few tips of transferring your skills from the court to whatever you want to do. Mm. Let's see. Lessons? Lessons. Lessons of the game. Uh, um, Lessons of the game that you you use to be who you are now as a writer, producer. Okay. Then yeah. um, you, I guess the one of the main things is, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to understand what it is that you do what it is that you bring to the table. And in sports, if you are the scorer, then that's fine. 
uh, if you can transfer that over, that would then mean that in television and film, as an actor, you would be the star. Um, so to transfer that over, though, uh, you have to first understand what it is that you bring to the table. And if there's a certain type of acting that you do, if that's comedic, if it's if it's dramatic or as we talked about before we turned on the microphones, uh, if you're talking about branding, uh, you have to know what it is that you do. And then you get in that zone and you work that zone. Um, so that's one thing that transfers over. You have to know what type of player you are. You have to know what type of actor you are. And by and, I, and by acting, I don't mean what you think you can do. For example, I can play a thug, but because of how I'm seen by other people, mm-hmm. it's not believable most of the time. Unless it's a, <laughs> uh, a, a you know, so a white collar criminal or whatever. Most people look at my face and they go, "Well, no, he can't play a thug." It's mm-hmm. like, no, I can. I can play one. It's like, yeah, but we have people that look like that out in the <laughs> lobby. So we need people that look like thugs, whatever that is. Uh, that's that's what sells you in a role. So you have to understand, okay, if if I'm not viable in the business mm-hmm. of show mm-hmm. as a thug, let it go. <laughs> right. Uh, until your name is above the title, do what you are seen as versus what you think you can do. Oh. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I remember getting called in for a methamphetamine-addicted prostitute oh you booked that role i know i know i know you got that one it was like when you came in the door they were like oh there she is right there oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I think it was for the shield or something yeah okay and i was mm. like what's methamphetamine like oh <laughs> you started from that it's like uh, uh-oh it's like uh this is she's i learned so much i bet you did internet yeah thank goodness like, for the internet right right yeah i'm like methamphetamine is gasoline and batteries and then you take it and a week you've like aged a hundred years yeah and and missing teeth and all this kind of right. stuff yeah I, I don't want that kind of uh, high in my life yeah I don't. so yeah yeah i nailed that role yeah so you yeah so before you left the building they were like we want to book laferne <laughs> she was amazing yeah uh yeah that's i, I would have rang my agent's neck because i know when you were sitting in the lobby you saw some people coming out Think this babe is hooked on meth, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I mean. Well, I was trying to get in character, so it was like during the summer, mm-hmm. and I turned on the heat in my car so I can be sweaty <laughs> when I walked in there. That didn't work. There, I was gonna say there is there is nothing. I'm I'm not bagging on your acting skills, but there is nothing you can do that's gonna make you look like you've been there, hooked on meth for. Now you may have started meth today, but you don't look like you were hooked on it right. in any way shape or form right right nor do i want to but oh my goodness but you have to know the roles and i as laferne cusack i know i i don't want to go out for a methamphetamine addicted prostitute anymore what so is is it the meth that's the problem i'm, I'm trying to figure out where 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 is the hang up Okay. <laughs> the, the hang up is <laughs> yeah like uh none of these things apply but, to me yeah. but right but you have to know as as Mr. Elliot, mm-hmm. D. Elliot, mm-hmm. you have to know what roles you want to go out for. Yeah, you do. And you have to you get to a place where you finally go, okay, of course you want the job. I mean, you want the the opportunity, the exposure, you know, maybe even the money. Uh, and it's nice to have a, that credit for that show on your resume. But, you know, after a while, when you realize it's like, okay, this is not my lane. Uh, uh, and, and and further, you're not getting the jobs. Now, you're you're getting in front of people. They like you as a person and all that other yeah. stuff. But but no, you're not yeah, the meth. No. The meth hoe is not what we see you as. But Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. You're welcome very much. Thank you. I'll be Thank on you stage all. next Thursday. Exactly. All right. So, D. Elliot, you have this project coming up. Do you have any other projects you'd like to share? Well, I'm waiting to hear back on a few things that I'm I'm up for. The, you know, soap opera, this and the, you know, but it's it's talk until somebody calls and says 
the check clear. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're there. You're in. Right. So you know, the, nothing to talk about uh, concrete. I'm actually um, we're going to shoot a trailer for a um, a sketch comedy pilot that I'm, I'm developing. We're actually going to shoot that uh, uh, starting tomorrow on Sunday because uh, you got to catch uh, your actor friends when they're not busy. <laughs> so uh, I'm willing to forego the church uh, tomorrow for shooting this project and um, got a couple of networks that actually are waiting to see the trailer so you know we'll see how that goes well best of luck to you thank you before you leave who's your favorite athlete and why favorite athlete Ooh, you mean now or ever ever well ever is muhammad ali uh, easy, easy. He's the only person I ever met because I had built him so much uh, up in my head that when I met him, I couldn't talk. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I I mean, and I've met, it, it, hell, you ought to come to some of my barbecues. I mean, everybody <laughs> comes to the barbecues at my house. But yeah, that because of not only what he accomplished in the ring, mm-hmm. but what he accomplished for the world right. uh, outside of it. And then later, not being bitter about what I thought was one of his main gifts, his ability to to the, the, be the master orator. When he didn't have that ability anymore, it, he was even bigger because he wasn't afraid to not be what he was. And it was just like this dude. So hands down him. Yes. Yeah. Love that. D. Elliot Woods, actor, writer, producer, former NBA, WNBA trainer and uh, athlete. Yeah, yeah. I got a little bit done. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Laverne, thank you so much for having me. This has been outstanding. I really appreciate it. Same here. This is ESPN LA. For more information, please log on to ESPNLA.com. And uh, to find out more about D. Elliott Woods, go to flyfreeent.com. Thanks again. Have a great weekend. See you next week here on ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.